Good morning. My name is Nick Swan. I'm the associate pastor here at Grace. And this morning we are going to be wrapping up uh, our brief three-part series on the book of Psalms, three psalms that we've chosen out of the book of Psalms, uh, entitled, Why We Sing. And this morning's message is from Psalm 32, and the title is, A Celebration of Forgiveness. Uh, before we begin, let me, let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would continue to remind us, just as you were reminding us through the excellent children's sermon, of our need for forgiveness and of the free and full forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ the moment we ask. Father, I pray that we would, by your spirit, remove every hindrance to us coming to you, that there is no guilt, there is no shame, there is no sin that has not been fully paid for by Christ. Therefore, we are free to come to you, knowing that you will love us, forgive us, and welcome us. May that truth change our hearts this morning in Christ's name. Amen. I think many of us would say that we like having a fresh start, whether it be a new year and the resolutions that come with that new year, whether that be a new school year, which is what Miss Diana was just talking about, uh, whether it might be a milestone birthday. And depending on how much tolerance you have for change, some of you may even like a new job, a new home, or a new city. There's something energizing about having a chance to have a fresh start, to have a clean slate in life. Growing up, I was always in trouble in school and was a relatively poor student. Sorry to all the children that I am now encouraging to be bad students. Uh, for me, a new school year was a chance. It was a chance to have a clean slate, a fresh start. I would have a new teacher. Hopefully, I would have a good relationship with this teacher. Uh, I would have a fresh report card that was completely empty. No bad grades yet, no zeros, no lates, nothing. I'd have all of my referrals and my tardy slips reset to zero, so I'm not headed for detention right out of the gate. And even all the new school supplies that Miss Diana was talking about, uh, they would give me a sense every year that I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna, I got a fresh start this year. I have a chance to do it better this year than I did the year before. Now, I was in school for 14 years, like elementary, high school, and excluding the days leading up to kindergarten, where ignorance was still bliss, I had every year this hope and this desire that somehow this year will be different. But sadly, every year, about two or three weeks in, I was already starting to get in trouble with the teacher. I was already starting to be late. Some of the grades had already started coming in, and they were below average. I was already settling into the patterns that I'd had for the years prior. And so at that moment, I'd be like, well, maybe next year. You know, settle, settle in. My parents probably would have wanted me to push a bit harder than that. But, uh, but our passage this morning is all about the freedom that comes, that Jesus gives us when we have a fresh start. The good news that Jesus brings to us is that no matter how many times we mess up, no matter how many times we mess up doing the exact same thing that we've done before, that he promises that he will always offer us full and free forgiveness. And that he not only forgives us, but he actually counts us as righteous as though we have done good things all through Jesus Christ. We don't have to wait for next year. We don't have to turn over a new leaf. We don't have to do a bunch of good works to get back in good standing with God. All we have to simply do is ask, please forgive me. And God graciously over and over will freely extend that mercy and forgiveness to us. 
God offers full and free forgiveness to all who confess their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. So we have three points this morning. First one is this, the fullness of forgiveness. The fullness of forgiveness. Point number two is the process of forgiveness. And point number three is the joy of forgiveness. So point number one, the fullness of forgiveness. Look with me again at verses one and two. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So King David, the author of this psalm, he begins with blessed, happy, joyous is the one who has these three things. These three things are the transgressions forgiven, their sins covered, and iniquity that is not counted against them. Now each of these terms referring to wrongdoing, transgression, sin, iniquity, they all cover rough, they carry roughly the same meaning. They are just different words of expressing when we disobey God's law. So either not doing what God requires or doing what God forbids. But the words that describe how God views or treats these sins, it, it carries a bit more of a bit more nuance to them. So Uh, Beginning with transgression is forgiven. Forgiven carries this nuance of a burden being lifted off of us. So picture a heavy backpack. If you've ever been on a long hike, carrying everything that you're going to use on that that trip. The moment when you're able to take that backpack off and slide it off. A burden lifted. Picture you are pinned down and there's weight upon your chest. Forgiveness is the moment when that weight that is pinning you down is now lifted. Freeing you from what had been burdening you before. So our transgression is forgiven. The burden of sin is lifted. Our sin is also covered. Now this word at first, it might make you think of, well, I've got this sin and this shame and it's here. And so why don't we just throw something over it and just act like there's nothing there. But it's not a denial of what's there. What, when it says that our sin is covered, it means that it's been removed from God's sight. So have you ever been angry at someone or someone's been angry at you and they've said to you, get out of my sight? Have you ever heard that or seen that or felt that? It's similar. What God does is rather than getting us out of his sight, he wants our sin out of his sight. Because to be in his sight is to be under the wrath of God. He sees that sin and he must judge it. And so what he does with our sin is he removes it from his sight. And what God cannot see, God does not judge. Lastly, God does not count our iniquity against us. This last term, count, it's an an accounting term. Sin puts us in debt to God. Our sins must be paid for. Our debt to God must be paid. But David says, blessed is the man whose debt of sin against God no longer counts against him. Meaning, the debt that we owed for our sins is now forgiven. It has been paid. So the question that must be asked is, how can all of these things be? How can a holy God whose justice requires that he punish sin, how can he be the same God who forgives our transgressions, covers our sin, and does not count our iniquities against us? Unlike us, God cannot just say, no worries, it's good, it's okay, don't worry about it. God's justice and his holiness require that he deals with sin. So how is it possible that God can forgive sins, cover sin, and not count iniquity against us? 
In order for the burden of our sin to be lifted, in order for our sin to be put out of his holy sight, in order for the debt of our sin to be paid, someone else had to pay that debt. Someone else had to carry the burden of sin for us. It was taken off of us, but now it has been placed upon someone else. Someone else had to face God's wrath against our sin so that our sin might be put out of his sight. Now, all preachers, we like to get to Jesus at the end of our sermons. Have you guys ever noticed this? Like we preach, 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 and we like to get to Jesus at the end. It's like a fireworks show. We all know the grand finale is coming. And it's not really a fireworks show unless you get one of those grand finales. I'm letting out the secret, Marshall's telling me. But this is what we do. But in order for this text to make sense, we actually need to get to Jesus a bit earlier in this sermon. Because I believe this text requires this grand finale a bit earlier because Jesus is the key to understanding how is it possible that we can receive the blessing of forgiveness. In order for us to have the burden of sin lifted, the weight of our sin had to be placed upon Christ. In order for us to have our sin put out of God's sight, more pointedly, in order for us to escape God's wrathful eye of judgment, Jesus was laid bare upon the cross. He was left naked, both physically and spiritually. He was left under the wrathful eye of God to receive the judgment that we deserved. And because that gaze fell upon him, it no longer fell upon us in our sin. In order for our debt to be paid, Jesus had to take our sin upon himself and pay the debt that we owed. And the debt that we owed was death. The wages of sin is death. If the debt for our sin is going to be paid, someone had to die in order to pay for it. Because Jesus did all of these things as our substitute, by faith in him, we have full and free forgiveness. Jesus is the reason that we can say with David in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the one whose transgressions, my transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Because of Christ, we have full and free forgiveness and all of the freedom that that gives us. In Christ, we no longer are defined by what we have done. You are not defined by your sin. Hear that again. You are not defined by your sin, no matter how heinous it may be in your mind. You are defined by Christ's righteousness. Your sin has been paid for. His life of righteousness is now yours by faith. And so when God sees you, he does not see your track record of sin. He sees someone who is forgiven, loved, and righteous. And all of this we receive, this good news of the gospel, we receive by faith. And when we do, we know the fullness of God's forgiveness. But here's a question for us. Why when this... Forgiveness is so freely offered. Why are we at times reluctant to receive it? Have you ever been reluctant to receive God's forgiveness? I believe the answer to that is that we are so accustomed to an achievement-based and a merit-based culture that we can hardly wrap our minds around the fact that God would not hold us accountable for what we have done. That he would actually give us something that we do not deserve. And that he would give his son for us to give us both freedom and forgiveness. It's so hard for us. I must earn what I have. Therefore, if I am forgiven, I must earn that forgiveness. And the gospel says otherwise. 
Later in the Bible, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul quotes these opening two verses from Psalm 32. And in its context, Paul points out that there are two ways in which we often seek to relate to God. One of them is on the basis of works. One person, like a laborer, tries to work and get his wages, and the wages are forgiveness. In Romans, it says it this way, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. In other words, we don't go to our employers and say, thank you so much for paying me what you owed me, do we? It's like, no, we entered into an agreement. I worked X number of hours. I did X number of projects. We agreed that you would pay me. We don't thank them effusively saying, thank you so much for paying for the work that I've done. And sometimes this is how we relate to God. We begin to think that we need to earn. If we're going to get this free gift of forgiveness that we need to labor, that we need to earn, that we need to work in order to get God's good favor. But if we relate to God in this way, it means that his forgiveness isn't truly free. It is therefore earned. And also it's in vain. Because there's no way that you and I could ever work off the debt that we owed. We could work and work and work, but we could never actually earn the forgiveness that God simply offers us to, to us freely by faith. Thankfully, there's another way to relate to God. The way of the gospel is the way of forgiveness freely offered to all who receive Christ by faith. Romans 4 again says it this way, in contrast to that labor, to the one who does not work, so foreign to us, who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, not work, is counted as righteousness. Put another way, when we believe God and receive his promises, we are forgiven and we are credited with the righteousness that God requires. But here's the catch. Faith requires that we cease trying to relate to God based on our works. Our currency of achievement, which is so built into us, so ingrained, in God's economy, it simply does not have any purchasing power. The forgiveness that we need is not purchased by achievement, it is free. But in order to receive it, we must humble ourselves, acknowledge our need, and receive it as helpless sinners in need of the free gift of grace that God offers. Which is a good segue to our second point, which is the process. So we've had the fullness of forgiveness, now we have the process of forgiveness. Point number two. In order for us to understand the process of forgiveness, we need to understand that forgiveness is relational. Forgiveness is relational. Forgiveness is a process that takes place between two parties. In this case, it's between God and us. And the psalm opens with the blessedness of forgiveness in order to establish the relational context for us to walk through the process of forgiveness. Here's what I mean by that. Have you ever said to someone, if I tell you this, do you promise? ...that you won't be mad at me. Have you ever done that? Kind of, okay. Verses 1 and 2 are God's answer to this question. God, if, if I tell you, do you promise that you won't be mad at me? In verses 1 and 2, he promises that not only will he not get mad... ...he promises that whatever we have done... ...he will both fully and freely forgive. And so it's in the security of his forgiveness... ...that we are then welcomed into the process of forgiveness. So secure in the offer of complete forgiveness... ...we're now free to humble ourselves 
and enter into this process of forgiveness. And this process has three steps. Conviction, conviction, leading to confession, which ultimately leads to forgiveness. Conviction, confession, forgiveness. So we see the process of conviction in verses 3 and 4. Look with me again there at verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now, conviction, as I am defining it, is our sense of our own guilt and our wrongdoing before God. And these verses are David's description of what conviction feels like. What it feels like to experience conviction. And this conviction of the Holy Spirit, it produces groaning within us. Our sin begins to feel like a weight whose hand is heavy upon us. And as unpleasant as this process is, it's actually a gift from God to us. When God's spirit convicts us, conviction isn't God punishing us. Conviction is God drawing us to himself. Conviction is meant to lead us to confession, and it is God's means of drawing us to him in order that we might be made right with him. To use the imagery from last week of Psalm 23, conviction is God's shepherding staff. You remember the rod beat away the enemies, the staff guided the sheep. It is God's staff leading us down paths of righteousness. Sometimes it conviction might tap us. Sometimes it might hurt us a little bit. Sometimes he might flip the crook around and actually have to yank us a little bit because we're being stubborn and pig-headed. But none of these things are actually to punish us. These are God's loving means of bringing conviction by his spirit in order to draw us to himself and lead us back onto paths that are both safe and right. This conviction, it's meant to give birth to confession. Look at verse 5. I acknowledged, conviction was heavy, what did he do? I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. In response to God's conviction, God wants us to freely confess our sin. Rather than deny it, he wants us to acknowledge it. Rather than hiding our shame, he wants us to uncover it and bring it into the light that he might speak forgiveness. And God's response to our, for, our confession is forgiveness. Verse 5. It's so simple. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Notice there's no theatrics on God's part or even David's part. David didn't make a big to-do. He didn't beat himself up. He didn't wallow in his own pity. David didn't do penance. He didn't do acts of contrition, thinking that if I just feel bad enough, if I can just beat myself up enough, then God will surely forgive me. God's Forgiveness, it's offered freely. All David did was ask, please forgive me. And God forgave him. There's no punishment that needs to be doled out for sin. We don't need to beat ourselves up. Christ already took that punishment for us so that when we confess, we don't pay for that sin. We are welcomed and forgiven by God. And notice what this forgiveness brings. It brings relief. Look at verses 6 and 7. Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. 
in verse 6, David is describing what this conviction felt like. It felt like roaring, rushing waters that were going to overcome him. But when he confessed his sin, God provided a hiding place of forgiveness to preserve him in time of trouble. And in this hiding place, God isn't reluctant to give his forgiveness. God surrounds him with what? Shouts of deliverance. When's the last time someone sinned against you, came to you, said, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and you welcomed them with shouts of deliverance? I love you. You're amazing. I can't wait to welcome you back into my arms. But that's what God does. He welcomes us with shouts, celebration of our deliverance. Conviction, confession leading to forgiveness and the relief of restored relationship. Now, I have many examples of this process, likely daily, um, but there are a few instances that stand out, and there's one that came to mind as I was thinking about it. So, um, there was an instance in high school when I stole $300 from one of my employers. High school years were rough. The next time my parents come, <laughs> just love on Marilyn and Dennis, because they, they loved me when I was not a lovable kid. Um, so early in high school, I worked for a neighbor of mine. He uh, was a sports vendor at these AAU wrestling tournaments. And so we would go to these AAU wrestling tournaments in the spring. This is, of course, the time before cell phones and, you know, point of sale with credit cards. So everything was cash and check. So there was a lot of money in the till. In the summer of my junior year, I was planning, planning to head up to the Interlochen Arts Camp in Traverse City. It was an expensive camp. I needed some spending money, and money was a little bit tight. So I decided I was going to steal some money from the cash box in order to have some spending money. And so over the course of a couple of Saturdays, I took a little bit of money at a time and ended up having about $300 and I set it aside and then I went to camp and I deposited it into that camp account so that I could use it for the eight weeks that I spent at this camp. But here's the thing, here's the thing, that summer, every time I took money out of my account to spend it, how much joy do you think I had in that? None. God's conviction was heavy upon me. I knew that what I had done was wrong. I had all this money, more than I probably had in quite some time, and I had it to spend, and yet every time I would draw money out to spend it, there was absolutely no joy in doing so. So fast forward a year, the summer after my senior year. So even though this money was, was long gone, I could still feel the guilt of my sin. Every time I'd see my neighbor, and he wasn't like a neighbor in the neighborhood, he was literally my neighbor. So I would see him, and I would just have a twinge of guilt that I knew that I had stolen from this man and had never confessed it. So finally recognizing that God in his kindness was never going to lift his hand of conviction, as much as I tried to ignore it for an entire year, I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess. I'm going to tell this man what I've done, and I'm going to repay him the money that I stole. So I went to him, told him exactly what I did, what how I did it, how much money I had taken, why I had done it. And I asked him for forgiveness, and I repaid him the money that I owed. And thankfully, my neighbor was a wonderfully gracious man. He told me, actually, you're not the first person I'm sure that's stolen from me in a cash-only system, but you are the first one that's ever come to me and told me that you have. And so he thanked me. But at the same time, I would become a Christian somewhere in there, by the way. And so I'm bearing witness to Christ of what conviction looks like to a non-Christian neighbor. And he forgave me and he said, just take the money and give it to whatever charity that you want to give it to. He was gracious to me. And more importantly, God was gracious to me. As I confessed this, as I unburdened my sin, confessed it to God and to this man, and it was a fearful moment, he was faithful to 
to give me the blessedness of forgiveness, to walk me through this process, not because he wanted to punish me, but because he loved me. And he knew that if I kept walking down this path, it was to my own death and destruction. Why? He loved me and he pulled me back through conviction and the painful process of confession, but it led to forgiveness and the relief of God's forgiveness. Are you experiencing conviction this morning? My encouragement to you is do, do not resist the work of God's spirit. God is at work in your heart. He wants to bring you to confession so that you might receive forgiveness. Confess your sins to God. If you sin against someone else, confess your sins to them. Throw yourself upon the mercy of God. He promises that he will forgive your sin, that he will lift your burden, and that he will welcome you with shouts of deliverance. You see, when we embrace the process of conviction and confession and forgiveness, it softens our hearts. On the other hand, when we resist that process, it actually hardens our hearts. Look with, what, look with me what God says to David. There's a shift in verses 8 and 9 where God begins to speak to David. And God says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. What God is calling David to and us to is soft, humble, compliant hearts. When we experience conviction, God calls us to humble ourselves, to listen to his instruction, to listen to his teaching. God knows what is best for us. He knows the way that we should go. But so often we are like horses, like mules, God's got to yank on the reins. What he wants is soft, compliant hearts that when he just touches the reins, that he can steer us and direct us because our hearts are soft and sensitive to what his spirit is convicting us of in our hearts. God calls us to embrace conviction, to confess our sins, to cultivate compliant hearts. And he calls us to submit to him, to embrace these things as from him because he knows that if we will do so, he will forgive us, restore us, and ultimately transform us. And this leads to our final point very briefly, the joy of forgiveness. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David finishes his psalm in many ways the way he started, rejoicing in God's forgiveness. And he does so by contrasting the sorrows of the wicked and the joy of those who are forgiven, those who are surrounded by the steadfast love of God. The wicked multiply their sorrows by resisting God's call to repentance. Rather than receiving this offer of forgiveness, they multiply their sorrows through sin and, and they end up heaping up judgment for themselves in the life to come. If you're here this morning and you have never received Christ... Do not resist him any longer. If his spirit is convicting you, yield to that conviction. Acknowledge your sins. And what you will find is a God who loves you and who will freely forgive you. He will restore you. He will surround you with his love. He will shout over you with deliverance. He will surround you with his steadfast love. And I love this imagery of being surrounded by the love of God. It reminds me of the lyrics of the song, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. We sometimes sing this. And verse 1 says this, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. 
vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. Rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, surrounding me, underneath me, all around me is the current of your love. Leading onward, leading homeward to your glorious rest above. Why is the blessing we have of our transgression, why is it a blessing that our transgressions have been forgiven, that our sins have been covered, that our iniquity is no longer counted against us? It's a blessing because through this forgiveness we are restored to right relationship with God. And therefore we know what it is to be surrounded by the steadfast covenant love of our redeeming God. Come to Christ this morning. Whether it's your first time or the thousandth time, come to him, embrace his convicting work, confess your sins freely, and receive the full and free forgiveness offered to all who trust in Christ. For God offers full and free forgiveness to all who confess their sins and trust in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that if there are any here who are for the first time are wrestling with coming to you and asking for your forgiveness, that they would yield to you, that your spirit would draw them, and that they would confess their sins and know for the first time what it is to be absolutely free from the penalty of sin and to be loved and welcomed by you. And I pray, Father, for all those who have known that, that we would know it afresh, that our conviction would run deeper, that our hearts would become more uh, sensitive to your spirit, and that we would be therefore even more amazed, more aware of our sin, but more amazed at your forgiveness. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.